I've heard from people that have actually tried to do it, that it's the most terrifying experience of their life because they've spent their entire lives working and saving. Mm -hmm. And now they're going to stop working and withdraw. Right. I mean, just the psychology behind that is very disconcerting to most people. Um, So although they say that the math works and the whole purpose behind the 4% rule was to show the math, show this Mm -hmm. study the numbers. Yeah. Historically, this has worked. Doesn't mean it's going to work going forward. Historically, mm-hmm. it has worked. Um, but it always comes back to me as this, like this illusion of this final resting place. Like I hit this destination, ah, shoulders go down, worries go away. You can go I'm lie on, on a beach somewhere. Yeah. I'm on my island with my cocktail. Nothing bad's ever going to happen in your life experience. Yeah. Like, it, you literally envision like your future yeah. self as having no worry. Because you've now think to you, you think to yourself that all your worry is coming from this financial stress. You don't have enough. It's well, right. It's a way of, we think we're protecting ourselves. Recording from my studio here in Charlotte, North Carolina. I'm a born and raised New Yorker now living in the South. Welcome to Confessions. I'm a financial advisor the antidote to conventional financial independence wisdom. My name is Al. I've been a financial advisor for over 20 years. I've worked with thousands of clients in all areas of the country and from all walks of life. Through the relationships I had with these people, I've discovered the mindsets and behaviors that are most effective in a person's financial life, plus the pitfalls and all the BS to watch out for. The financial independence community today has completely lost its way. And I felt it was time to call out the FI gurus, podcasters, and self-proclaimed pundits. This podcast is not about the numbers. That's what all the other financial podcasts talk about. We will focus on the emotional and psychological components that drive our behavior. I am not looking for new clients. And I'm not interested in running for any kind of office. I'm going to tell you like it is from an insider's perspective and pull back the curtain on the financial industry. Now, let's get into Confessions of a Financial Advisor. Welcome to Confessions of a Financial Advisor, Episode 4. And this is the 4% Rule and the Personal Capital App. We're combining two posts because this topic seems to be a little bit dry. And I'm here with my partner in crime, Diane. Hey, Al. Hey, Diane. Good to be here. Good. I'm glad you are here. So these are the two topics we're talking about today. 4% rule, personal capital, two of the most talked about topics in the financial independence community, just to give a quick synopsis. So the 4% rule, you can take 4% out of any amount of money that is in a diversified portfolio of stocks and bonds and feel pretty comfortable you're not going to run out. So they call it the safe withdrawal rate. And it's based on a a study. It's called the Trinity study where they back-tested all different 30-year periods over the last 80, 90 years. And what they came up with was that as long as you don't take more than 4%, you should be pretty confident that you won't run out of money in retirement. Uh, And then personal capital is just an app that again, a lot of these podcasts, most podcasts um, are promoting, and it's just a way of consolidating all of your accounts into one app, all your bank accounts, 
all your investment accounts, all your loans, all your real estate, everything you own, you can track on personal capital in one space, literally with the fingerprint button. You can, I literally put my finger on this button on my phone and everything. That's not creepy at all. Like, <laughs> <laughs> it populates immediately, right? Just give it 10 seconds uh-huh. and you know to the penny how much money you have or don't have <laughs> and how much lo- you know how much you have in loans. They even go, they'll literally pull up the real estate values on Zillow so that you'll get, you know, a, what do they call it? What's that? Zestimate? Zestimate. A yeah. Zestimate. So accurate. Yeah, exactly. So now you're getting like the snapshot of your net worth. Mm-hmm. So... And again, like all these podcasts are touting that this is such a great app. And, you know, I jumped on the bandwagon. I got the app immediately. I started punching everything in, all my credit cards, all my, just all my accounts. And I found myself checking this damn thing every day. And me as a financial advisor telling people not to check their accounts every day and not to be looking at this stuff. Now I have it, you know, my It's thumb. so tempting. It's right there at your fingertips. Literally. Yeah. I mean, with your th- <laughs> yeah, with your thumbprint, you're in. And yeah. uh, so I wound up ruminating and then I wound up, and the, the funny thing is when it comes to like money, like as things go up, it doesn't particularly make you feel good. Maybe you it's feel It's not little, particularly joyful, right? Yeah, no, but when things go down, you're, you're like, oh God, you know, like this is terrible. And, and then it just starts affecting with your day. I mean, I there were days embarrassed to say, like, I, w- I would literally look at it multiple times in a day. Why would I do that? Why would I do mm-hmm. that? You know, l- seeing like the adjustments of how the market's doing, you know, after a while I was like, I got to just get rid of this app and I'm just going to use it for credit cards to track credit card spending, mm-hmm. you know, which is very useful for that, um, which I did. So I took all my investment accounts. Out, I took all my real estate off there. Yeah. Like, I just don't want to know this stuff. It's just it's too not- much information. I mean, it's it's like a flood of information. And then it's so easy to get hyper obsessed with tracking it. Where is it now? Where is it now? When you really don't have any ability to influence any of that. Yeah. Especially when you're looking over long time periods. So in my plan, I'm like, you know, I'm 10 years out from anywhere being near like a retirement, you know, I'll be working for at least another 10 years. I got, you know, young children mm-hmm. want to get them through college, that kind of thing. And the other thing I was thinking about when it came to this app was tying in this 4% rule idea, the 4% rule, again, good framework to use as, um, giving you some kind of, uh, tangible number that you can come up with for retirements. Um, but what I found was people that are really focused on this 4% rule, they're coming from a fearful place. Mm-hmm. They're thinking that once they get to this spot, there's going to be this ultimate sense of financial security. And that security never comes. And that's a dangerous outlook. And there is no finish line. Because you and I have talked about, even related to the 4% post, what people typically do and how they mostly behave is instead of being satisfied with 4%, they'll keep raising the bar. At, well, a 4% of a million, what, how much could I withdraw each year at 4% of 2 million? And they're constantly increasing more and more and more and more. They're never getting to a point where they feel fully secure and fully satisfied. Yeah, or when they actually have to turn on that income, mm. 
I've heard from people that have actually tried to do it that it's the most terrifying experience of their life because they've spent their entire lives working and saving. Mm-hmm. And now they're gonna, all of a sudden they're going to stop working and withdraw. Right. I mean, just the psychology behind that is very disconcerting to most people. Um, so although they say that the math works and the whole purpose behind the 4% rule was to show the math, show this mm-hmm. study. The numbers. Yeah. Historically, this has worked. Doesn't mean it's going to work going forward. Historically, mm-hmm. it has worked. Um, but it always comes back to me as this like this illusion of this final resting place. Like I hit this destination, ah, shoulders go down, worries go away. You can go I'm lie on, on a beach somewhere. Yeah, I'm on my island with my cocktail. Nothing bad's ever going to happen in your life experience. Yeah, like, it, you literally envision like your future yeah. self as having no worry because you've now, think to you, you think to yourself that all your worry is coming from this financial stress. You don't have enough. It's well, right. It's a way of, we think we're protecting ourselves, but it's really an illusion. That endpoint is always an illusion. It winds up being a moving target too. So, yes. like, so as that endpoint gets closer, you just up the endpoint, right? Mm-hmm. So it's just well, I'm almost there. I could do more. Yeah, um, and I was mentioning to you about Wayne Dyer. You know, had an mm. interview where he was talking about. He was a therapist and he was talking to one of his clients and his client told them that, you know, I'm going to feel really secure once I save $15,000 in my savings account. And Wayne Dyer was like, oh, okay, okay. okay. So, you know, time goes on a year later. He, he's like, yeah, uh, Dr. Wayne, you know, I actually saved $15,000. Well, how do you feel? Well, you know, I think I'd feel a lot more secure if I saved $30,000. And then it just goes on and on and on. And there's no destination. No, and it just snowballs and snowballs and it's never ending. And I think what we're doing is we're putting too much on things like this 4% rule or like this ultimate destination. It's a fantasy. It's we think that worry will go away by hitting certain goals or that, you know, by our accomplishments, we're going to feel like this sense of like, ah, finally did it. I've climbed Mount Everest. I'm done. And what, yeah. you, what you wind up hearing is a lot of people that climb Mount Everest go through like a depression after. Because mm. what do you do after climbing Mount Everest? What now? What now? You expected it to be the end all be all of everything. And of now ultimate you, fulfillment and satisfaction. Then when it doesn't live up to that impossible standard, it's disappointing. Yeah. I think this happens in like so many aspects of life. You know, you see it with like professional fighters, you know, anytime like somebody's on this mission to achieve something that mm-hmm. seems in there, they've blown up in their mind to be the pinnacle. You yeah. Know? And like we were talking about Lewis Howe. That's a great story to illustrate this. Yeah. So, so I was listening to an interview with Lewis Howe and he was talking about, I think his, is it the school of greatness? That's yeah. What the called. book that he wrote that I was mentioning is called the mask of masculinity. The mask so, of masculinity. Yes. Lewis Howe. Yeah. And he he tells this story about being um, all through childhood. He wanted to be an all American, all he thought about. And he didn't have a sip of alcohol, didn't smoke. It was all about training and getting to be this all American. A hyper focus on this elite athletic level. Right. And so he's in this, I believe I I have this right. I'm again, I'm trying to remember the actual I know he was paraphrasing. A, I'm paraphrasing. Okay. He was a football player, but he also was a de- decathlete. And he was talking about, he was in like the final race of the decathlon. There's like 10 events. He's in the final one. 
And if he makes wins this race, then he'll be at the seventh spot and only the top seven people will become all Americans. And he finally hits it and he makes it by a few seconds, becomes an all American stands on the podium has a couple moments of elation. And then literally that same night, he's out to dinner with his family and he's pissed. He just remembers being angry. What an interesting reaction to achieving that level of success. All of that, all the, all the days and just years spent. All the preparation and yes. Yeah. Sacrifice. Training. And now it's over and you feel now what? Let down. Let down. So you've done all this and you were let down. But then yeah. what, do, what do people normally do when that happens? They find another hamster wheel, right? They find yeah. another goal. Oh, well, all right. Decathlete's that over. That didn't like, work. So I'll look for something else outside to fulfill me. Like oh. another external goal, which is such a recipe for disaster. And this is kind of what this like, you know, self-help motivational community <laughs> does. It's like they always want you on this. Come on. Yeah. Bigger goals, bigger goals. The next great goals. thing. Yeah. And you and I have talked so much about, you know, this illusion that fear is ever going to go completely away, which is such bullshit. The fear is never going to completely be eliminated. It's a matter of choosing to take intentional action through and beyond the fear. Yeah. It almost seems like it's an avoidance mechanism. Like any time you're putting this big pinnacle goal up, like whatever it is, the 4% rule, I want to get to a million dollars. I'll live about 40 grand at that point. Mm -hmm. You think you're going to get around that insecurity fear by getting this amount of money. It's just not going to happen and it never happens. Right. And I've witnessed this with so many clients. I've witnessed this with clients that have more money than they know what to do with. I mean, they have, I have you know, some clients in their 70s and 80s that have more money than they'll ever possibly spend. That's right. And they don't spend the dime, like, and they're terrified to spend anything and they leave like, you know, 5%. How much fun do you think their lives are? Not fun at all. (laughs) It's like they've been, (laughs) they've been so ingrained to be frugal and to save. They don't know how to turn that off. Yeah. Even when they do have enough. And not that I think they have to go out and buy fancy cars and, but I mean, uh, one, one client leaving like 5% for a tip at, you know, I'm literally (gasps) money underneath like the. You know, I'm behind his back. I'm like putting money in there. Right. I felt so bad for the waiter because he's only leaving 5%. I'm like, ah. Oh. So that's a, that's what can happen. And I've mm-hmm. seen that that's happen. That's an extreme, but it's not uncommon. Not uncommon. It's actually, especially with that World War II generation, that older yes. generation, they're just very, you know, very frugal. Hyper-conservative. Hyper-conservative. I always think you generating income would always feel better than just doing this safe withdrawal rate and just mm-hmm. turning everything off. You have no forms of income except withdrawing from a big account that you've accumulated mm-hmm. over your life. You're going to live in fear from that point on. I, in my opinion, most people live in fear because they've started this whole process in a fearful state and they've yes. never confronted that fear. So, and then they think once we hit this thing, the fear will go away. The fear doesn't go away. And now if they, anything, the fear gets stronger because now, now you have all this to lose. Right. I mean, the and insig- it's vulnerable and we all know how comfortable we all are with that. <laughs> the insecurity goes through the roof. Yeah. It, I mean, you thought you were insecure saving money. First of all, you're making income and you're saving money. I mean, that's pretty secure just in the sense that you're generating money. Try turning that faucet off yeah. and now withdrawing money as opposed to putting money away. It's just, whew, I mean, it's just one of those things that 
you're right. It, it's almost the opposite. It's like you think you're going to hit this place of ultimate security, and mm-hmm. now you're in a place of even more insecurity. Yes. You're terrified. Um, you have something to lose. You've now hit a goal. You were disappointed because it didn't live up to the expectation of what you had in your minds. Mm-hmm. And now where do you, it's a, now what? It's, it goes back to that question. Now what? Hmm. And you always yeah. think about, you know, going through this fear and it, it, it kind of always reverts back to this unless you're dealing with the fear, the fear that you had the whole way along. It's not going to go away at the end once you reach this goal. Right. Well, unless and until we're willing to witness, at the very least, witness our shadow side or childhood wounds or insecurities or triggers, we're never going to get more comfortable in recovering from them and through them because they're never going to go completely away. Right. Where, right. Ask some questions to you. Like, where but if we just shut and ignore, say, we don't have, I don't have a shadow. I don't have any insecurity. That's okay. That's ignoring and avoiding. Right. And it's just allowing the shadows to get darker and darker and stronger and stronger. But that's interesting the way you just put it, because I don't think they're intentionally doing that. All they're doing is no. they're, they're picking some alternate goal, something mm-hmm. that's, and they're it's like, that'll, that'll solve this. Like, that'll solve this. It's not like they're telling themselves, I'm going to avoid this by doing this. Right. They literally think this goal is going to get them out of that fear loop. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of what's terrifying about this whole 4% rule. So. There, enough said with the 4% rule. <laughs> but I had never heard it six months ago. So I learned something through all of this. It's kind of, yeah, it's, yeah, I guess unless you're like in that investment community, it's just a lot of yeah. what they talk about from a financial independence standpoint. And um, it's, it's one of those things that's like any tool, like we talk about, you know, technology is not in itself evil. It's how we're using those tools in our daily lives and the amount of control we're giving over to these tools. They so easily become an obsession. Yes. I, I think. So for that personal capital app, for instance, there's nothing wrong with the, actually the app is amazing. I mean, it's consolidating everything in your financial life. If you looked at it once a year, I would say that's great. Yeah. But why would you ever need that on your phone out of fingers, you know, a thumbprint away from looking at it every, that, I think it's the accessibility. So yeah, <laughs> we have that funny fidelity story. Oh my gosh, yes. So Fidelity did a study, and some of the audience may have heard this. So they kind of tracked all their different investment accounts. I think this was the 401k division. And they wanted to find out who were the best investors by demographic. Who got the best return on their investments. Who got the best return on their investments over a long period of time. And and what they came up with was the highest returns came from people that were dead, that had died, and that their accounts were still on the books – Nobody claimed the money. How could dead people get the highest return on their investments? Because they're mm. not fucking with them. Like they're not checking them. They're, they don't have the app on their phone. They don't have access to them. Shocking. Have, yeah. And I, I mean, I, and Pretty I have- Pretty intense level of detachment, but- Yeah. Set it and forget it. It's kind of like one of those things, like just put it in, put the money in there, leave it alone, never look at it. Uh-huh. That's, that's a better strategy than, it, it really is the less you look at things- I there think is it, such a thing as being too close, looking mm. too closely. There is absolutely such a thing as too much information. I think so. I, and I think what the financial independence community talks about with all of this kind of stuff is they talk about the people that are oblivious to anything financial and like they're trying to get them to see something. Yeah, like I think they're starting from a place where 
maybe they're going after an audience that is completely oblivious to what's going on with their own finances. And this is a way of illuminating, you know, what's been in the dark. Right. But I think for the average person that has any kind of sense or has set up a few different things, you know, you're spending less than you earn, you're investing some money, you have a 401k, you're doing a few different things. Once you do all those things, you put them in place, you've already made the right decision. Now Mm -hmm. it's just time to leave it alone. Mm-hmm. Leave it alone because as soon as you start getting into it and start looking at it all the time, tinkering with it, effing with it, it's not going to do you any good. Look at the dead people. The dead people yeah. perform better. Why? They don't do any. They can't do anything. They can't. It's impossible. So I, I always thought there would be a, it would be a great idea if there was some sort of legal contract that people had to sign when they invested <laughs> that they had to say, I'm going to put this money in and I'm not going to look at this. Again, I am agreeing and writing. Uh huh. Yeah, it's and if I do, there's got to be. I was going to say, there's got to be a penalty. Got to be some penalty or a reward offered. Yeah, Yeah, like you know, I'm going to donate like a thousand dollars to a cause that I hate or something. You know. Yeah. Yeah. Something like, just don't look at this stuff, and and all personal capital is giving you is the tools to look at this ongoing Mm -hmm. in your hands anytime you want. Oh, you can't sleep at night here. Check your investments. Like. Oh God, I've got enough trouble sleeping. I know. <laughs> right. You. Yeah. Yeah. So that's what it is. It's this, it's, it's a rumination. It, it gets you on a roller coaster ride of fear. Mm-hmm. But it's I, like, we've been sold this fantasy version of a place of complete and full stability, security, freedom from fear and anxiety. Like none of us ever really get there until we're dead. We don't. You're until we're dead. Um, I, th- I think it's it, it's definitely served up in a way that. All right, if you had to put it on a spectrum, I mean, in my opinion, you want to be someone that if you want some sort of financial security, it's not good to be completely insecure financially. If you're living hand to mouth, you don't have any savings. Mm-hmm. Then that's an issue too. That's not know? sustainable long term either. Yeah, and. So I do think these things, you know, having a four percent, like having so, some sort of idea of where you want to go, and you know, you want a general to direction, to, but instead of maybe clinging to a specific number, and believing that that's the end all be all of everything in your life, and that every problem solved, and you're not going to, you know, have stress and other anxieties, like you, your mind's just going to create another problem. And it's uh-huh. again, it's good to do these things, but I guess the best idea with all of this is. Understand it, make it as a rule of thumb, do what you can do, set things up automate, automated mm-hmm. so that you, know, you have your investments going in, you have your loans being paid off automatically so you don't have to even look at this stuff. Mm-hmm. And then let it alone. There's nothing you're going to do that's going to benefit you by looking at it. Mm-hmm. It could only be a hindrance. It, it's only going to cause additional stress. So back with my real estate background, like people would obsess over their estimates on their houses ask how I really feel about Zillow. But like they would take it as, oh, it went up, I have all this equity. But it's the equity's not real until you sell. So they had this perception that they just made all this money, but that money's not real until you sell the house. Mm-hmm. So you didn't actually make that money, even if, if the estimate or the actual potential value is accurate. But people perceive that they made it. And then what happens if it, the estimate goes lower then they feel like they've lost all this money and it creates additional stress and turmoil unnecessarily. 
because they never had the money. Equity is only real when you actually sell the property. Mm. Yeah. So you're obsessing about what Zillow or any, any website related to real estate is saying your house is worth. That's not actually your money until you decide to sell it. Mm. So it's an illusion. And when people obsess over it, all it's doing is causing them additional stress and anxiety when things start going down. Yeah. I think we're led to believe that the more influence we have over, you know, the more we can manipulate things, the more we can tinker and the better off we are. And it's, oh, it's so crazy. And why wouldn't you believe that? That's a slippery slope. It is. I mean, I guess, but you think about it, you don't want to have your head in the sands. You don't want to be the person that's like, oh, well, I don't know what's going on. Right. But it seems like... Because there's a way to be an informed consumer and an informed citizen even, even an informed voter. You know, there's a way to be an informed whatever without tipping into the point of obsessing. That's such a great point. And I have a friend's... I mean, I'm definitely not into politics, but I have a friend that tells me that he has five other friends that he knows that are into politics. Mm-hmm. And what he does is he finds out all of their views and then he makes a decision based on what they've they've spent countless hours yelling uh. at their TV and analyzing and doing this craziness and like spending years with the ups and downs of a lot of Democrat who they're going to put in the office. And my friends actually just takes their points of view and then makes his decision based on that. So he's huh. now within, you know, a couple hours Done. has yeah. his decision. He didn't have to stress about it all year. He didn't have to do the research. He didn't have to do the research. He's just accumulating other people's hard work. Right. Which, yeah. And then just leave it alone. Like you, you didn't, you didn't go through all the stress. You didn't go through all. Yeah. It's and his less- five friends probably love the research component of it. They probably enjoy that aspect of it. It might drive me, someone like me, it's insane to consider doing that, but. Yeah. Or it might just stress them out too, but he knows that they at least have a, you know, enough information where he can now take five points of view and make some sort of informed decision. I'm okay with it being five different points of view. It would alarm me a little more if it were like one or two. Yeah. Very true. Variety can be a good thing. I think so too. Yeah. Same, yeah. So, I mean, the same thing holds true with investments. So you'll see people that have spreadsheets that yeah. look at the market every day that are interpreting. They're looking at what Jim Cramer's saying, and they're looking at this guy and looking at CNBC and they're like trying to decipher and like, oh yeah, this company. And it's just on and on and on. Like, and every time more, you talk more, to more. Them, more, 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 and they have opinions on everything, you know, oh, Apple, Apple's going up and this stock's going down and this is what's happening. The recession's coming and you know bitcoin is a bad investment bitcoin's a great investment like they're just all over the place mm-hmm. and then totally you the guy, unpredictable and then you have the guy that's like i'm gonna put my money in every month and i'm not gonna look at this crap i know i'm gonna make a good dis- informed decision up front mm-hmm. and i'm gonna trust that i made a good decision and then leave. trust what a novel concept <laughs> right trust yeah <laughs> Who would think, right? Who would think in the investment world is such a word as trust? Ah, <laughs> uh, so yeah. So I, I this this always ties into other other things we always talk about: illusion mm-hmm. of a final resting place, illusion of this ultimate sense of security. It doesn't exist. The illusion of the escape from fear. Yes, and the thing that's 
feeding this fear, at least in the investment case and like, you know, with finances is the constant looking at something. Mm-hmm. You don't want to have your head in, sa- in the sand and not know where your financial situation is. You want to have an idea what the status is. Mm-hmm. You know what? It, this is another good analogy. So when I was learning how to swim, um, which sounds ridiculous. I, I always knew how to swim as a kid, but I never knew like the, the, the mechanics of, of it. Yeah. So I started doing triathlons. I've literally had to learn as an adult how to swim so mm-hmm. you could do it efficiently. So what they would tell you is that like you'd swim for a while and then, but your head would be down, right? Mm-hmm. But every once in a while, you got to lift your head up so you know where you're going. Yeah. Yeah. But if you swam with your head up the entire time, your feet are just dragging and you're going slow. You're not getting anywhere. So what they're saying is you just want a sight. They call it sighting. Yeah. Sighting every once in a while, just to make sure you're on. Every so often. Same holds true with all this, with investing. If you have your head up the whole time thinking you're going to tinker with stuff, I'm going to make things happen. I'm going to watch it. I'm going to make sure I'm, you know, doing strategic things to make my situation better. You're screwed. You're screwed. Mm -hmm. It's just going to go off the rails. Like it's just, it's not going to work that way. And your own mental well being suffers too. Like that just doesn't sound fun to me. I mean, that doesn't sound like a joyful way of living. I, you know, it's not, it's not, it's just, it's swimming with your head up the entire time. It's just, which is not a good way to get through the water. Mm. Um, that's funny. Yeah. That was, that's a great analogy. <laughs> um, anyways, so that, that's our take on the 4% rule of personal capital. We tried to make something we thought was a dry concept into something <laughs> they fun. They do blend kind of well together. Those two. They do. They do. And nothing against personal capital. It does what it says it does. If you're going to use it just for things like credit cards or general statements and non-investment accounts, and if that works for you, great. Yeah. Or if you're somebody that just has some kind of iron discipline of being able to look at it once a year. All right. Try that. It didn't work for me. Yeah. Definitely don't have it on your phone. It's the temptation of it. Like, well, just because I have it, I could check it. Like, well. Yeah. Apps are just so easy. It just hit them once and then you just, and again, you don't even have to type in a password. It's your thumbprint. I, that still amazes me. Thumbprints to get into all my accounts. Yeah. Whew. Yeah. Well, Diane, it's been fun again. It's been great fun now. We're going to move on to a new topic next week. And once again, I'm unprepared and have not brought up. I was going to say, I didn't look either. I know. I do this every time. Well, in the meantime, want to let everyone know you can follow both of us at faconfessions.com. Please subscribe. We'll send you an email as soon as we release any new content. Please leave us a review on iTunes. We'd really appreciate it. And for next week... So it's Religion and Lord of the Rings. Oh, I love this topic. Which is so fun. I love it. So Religion and Lord of the Rings. I really enjoyed that post. And I have to admit that I, I didn't get the title from Sam Harris, but Sam Harris has, in one of his talks, he compares religion. Um, he compare, I think it's like comparing like heaven with like Middle Earth. And so mm. Mid- Middle Earth is with like Lord of the Rings uses as like this uh-huh. infinite universe. So I just kind of got the concept from a Sam Harris talk, who's a guy I love to listen to. So yeah, that's going to be an interesting conversation. That would be very interesting. How religion, Lord of the Rings, all ties into finance. Uh (laughs) (laughs) Uh-huh. I love the alchemy of all of this. Oh, me too. Yeah. (laughs) Well, thanks everybody for listening. And uh, we will see you again next week. See you next week. Bye.